Hello and welcome back to the Schooner Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard, and with me today, Boat and Blake. And uh, yeah, just us two, because, folks, football season, it's wound down. It's almost over. We just got the playoffs. Uh, and honestly, when football's over, the first thing I turn to, some nice college basketball, especially with the thunder down a little bit. This is this is perfect. And um, Blake, uh, you might be the biggest college basketball aficionado, aficionado I know, uh, just in general. And, you know, I, I feel like we need to strike up this podcast catch up on what's been going on this season uh, because, you know, let, let's be honest, all, a lot of us haven't been as in tune as they would like for college. And, uh, you know, when conference play starts, this is your time to tune in. So, so Blake, uh, you're, you're going to kind of give us a rundown on what's, what's been going on the past couple months. And, uh, you, you know, frankly, what have we missed? Yeah, so honestly, a lot of people I know are not in on college basketball till after college football is done, and that's fine. But with those, what you're missing are these awesome out-of-conference matchups. We get some good tournaments around Thanksgiving. We get just a few, like I guess, like sneak peeks to what could happen in March. We saw it, OU Villanova, that one fateful year where OU destroyed Villanova in the regular season. So you'll see those sort of matchups play out and eventually end up in March, so I, I guess... I, I still stand by that if the Final Four was played in a tiny gym and at Pearl Harbor, we would have won the national title that year. Hands down. I, football football stadiums are not shooters' courts. There's too much distance behind the glass. I, I can definitely see that. You have no depth perception. They're not... They're, they just shouldn't be played there. And look, I'll, I'll say this. It's, the Final Four is one of the coolest... Uh, like experiences out there in terms of just the spectacle of it all. And then you start watching the game and you realize this is not meant to be. It's it's like watching a, a football game at a NASCAR venue, I imagine. Yeah, and I understand they want to crowd in as many fans as possible, but it's just, it looks wrong. The elevated courts on the football fields, like, I understand it, but just throw it in. Like, we have some great basketball arenas around the nation, and if you have those plays packed, rocking, like, I would way prefer that over kind of the current state of things. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But March is months away, and let's be honest, there's a lot of madness that happens before it. Uh but let's talk about, you know, some of the bigger surprises, some of the wilder things, uh, particularly who is this? Who's the number one team right now? It, it has been a, a kind of a mess. Purdue was there for a while. We, we, Gonzaga is floated around a little bit. We have Baylor up there right now. Um, Blake, what who, who is the top dog in uh, college basketball at the moment? Yeah, so I would have to give it to Baylor. Uh, they have come off a national championship team where – Last year, they lost, they lost their three best players, like Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteague, uh, Jared Butler, those guys that you come to know, those guys are no more. And Baylor has done an excellent job this year of taking in some transfers. James Akinjo from Arizona, who was originally at Georgetown, an electric guard. And then some of these guys that are key contributors this year played three, four minutes on this championship squad. So you, we've really seen them uh, come to the forefront kind of as that number one team, but Unlike last year, like, I think Baylor's still vulnerable. Like, last year we had the two Titans and Baylor-Gonzaga always there. We were waiting for that matchup. But like you said, Purdue was there for a while. They've kind of cooled off a little bit, the reason why they came out so hot. They were shooting, like, some insane clip from three, like, into the 40s per game, just on 
on a crazy shooting hot streak, but they're really solid. Gonzaga has some growing up to do. I think they're very good. Drew Timmy's back this year, probably going to win the national player of the year because they're always going to be relevant. He's going to put up big numbers in the West coast conference. Uh, but then you also have behind them, you have your Arizona who we'll talk about a little bit. Maybe it's one of the more surprising teams. Kansas is there. Duke is there. So you really have a good clump towards the top this year of teams that can cannibalize on each other a little bit making it a little bit more wide open compared to last year when it was just two kind of two front dogs and that's the thing and in any sport i'm a big guy who i I love parody um i I don't like the clump like we had last year where it was baylor and gonzaga and uh it was one of the fair the few the few situations where it actually ended up with those two at the end uh now, now the result probably wasn't what people thought uh with baylor just kicking their ass uh off the court but at the same time, I, you know, it kind of made the season a little predictable, which is like the last thing you want with college basketball is predictability. Um, and I, I, it seems like we don't have that right now. Um, I got to ask, by the way. So last season for Coach K, how are you enjoying the uh, Coach K retirement tour? Uh, Paulo Benchero, uh, has, is it insufferable yet or are we, are we there yet? We haven't reached there yet just because we have been thankful that Duke has only played, I guess, like two or three games that actually have meant something. Besides that, they played a whole bunch of nobodies. But I think come ACC time, it's just going to be insufferable. They're going to want to do the gifts. I want to see the gifts, the gifts that are given (laughs) when Coach K comes to a lot of these ACC opponents. Like, what is North Carolina going to do? What is Syracuse going to do? I want to see these big coaches that have been coaching against them for a while I want to see what they do for Coach K because we are we have been we are about to get tons of coverage of that. That's all the college ESPN is going to be able to talk about. Like that is all they're going to be saying. So if Duke is anywhere near one seed, they're going to be dominating most of the headlines. I you know honestly I I don't know if I'm I'm here for it, but you know I don't know. Do, do, does Duke have the uh, the standard annoying white guy? Who who should we start hating? No, Duke is actually – so I would say they're more – they are definitely a more well-rounded team, and it's just coming from their freshmen. Like Paolo Bencaro, he's going to be your number one guy that we're talking about. But they also have Wendell Moore Jr. They have a few other guys there, and they're just kind of solid all around. So Coach K has kind of built like this like five-star super weapon for his last go of things, which is good for him. But Paolo Bencaro, like – guy to watch he is really good but has been struggling with cramps just about every single game i've watched he's had to get to the locker room stretch him out they're saying he's losing seven pounds a game from sweat like he's so there's like it, it is a weird story that their star player that probably is going to be their difference maker can barely stay in the game because of these periodic cramps which which might be a Jameson question, Dr. Maxwell, to come on and tell us why, but it's going to be a solid Duke team. Like, that's, and especially with the down ACC this year, they're going to be probably a one or two seed come tournament time. Yeah, let's talk about the ACC. So, obviously, you know, with UNC losing Roy Williams, we knew that was going to be a hit for them, but it seems like across the board, you just don't have as many ACC teams in the top 25 right now, is this just like a early season, you know, everyone's playing tough game situation or are they just that bad across the board? 
I think they're really that bad across the board this year. Uh, they have, like, the good thing about the ACC is they have scheduled those hard games, but when you go down the slate of their top five or six teams, they're losing every single one of those good games. Like, I project them, in my mind, they should only be maybe a two-bid, t- uh, two-bid conference, which is something insane considering we're a few years removed when they're eight, nine teams in, because, like, you go down the board, it's like Duke. Duke is obviously very good. They can, they have everything you want in a team. But you go next, UNC. UNC has lost to Purdue, Tennessee, and got blown the doors off by an eh, Kentucky team. Virginia Tech, who is supposed to be good and is power ranked probably the second best team in the ACC. They've lost to Memphis. They've lost to Xavier. They've lost to Dayton. They've lost to Wake Forest. These are all really bad teams. And then your next one going down the line, UVA. UVA has always been that good, solid team. You know what you're going to get from a Tony Bennett pack line defense. They can keep yourself in games. They lost to Navy, one of the worst F- uh, one of the worst D1 schools this year at home. And then you go, lose to U of H bad, come back against Iowa, lose a close game there. And then where I'm rocking, go to James Madison, which I give him a lot of credit, but kind of lost pretty handedly to James Madison. So you're really seeing the ACC. Don't be surprised if it comes time to March and they have two teams in because they just do not look like a legit conference this year. And my thing with the ACC is I've always thought that they just had a lot of teams and you spread it out. You know, obviously you have a lot of good teams, but because they have more teams, you, you know, there, there, there's a lot of crap in the ACC that gets covered up with uh, some of their bigger blue bloods. And that's always been a debate for me is ACC versus Big 12 because I've always thought the Big 12 is the best conference in college basketball, hands down, because it's a gauntlet. And we've seen that this year. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in our Big 12 preview. But it's it, it it's really interesting to me that now the ACC doesn't even – their Blue Bloods aren't even good. So it, it it really is kind of dissolved. And, you know, I, I got to ask, who, who would you put as the best uh, conference in college basketball right now? It has to be the Big 12. It's just top to bottom. We're seeing just very solid play in non-conference so far that even if you go to the seven or eight teams with like West Virginia and OSU, those are still really good schools that can beat any of the top 25 opponents on any given night. So you don't see that across other conferences. I guess your next rival would be maybe the Big 10, but like the Big 10 I think is way too top heavy. You kind of got Purdue... Ohio State, Michigan, who kind of fell off this year a little bit more than people thought. So it's just they don't have the depth like the Big 12 has. Yeah, I I mean, we're at the point where the team that was ranked, like predicted to be last in the Big 12, Iowa State, is on an 11-0 run and they're ninth in the country, which is just remarkable. It is absolutely insane. They have – what TJ Alsoberger has done with that Iowa State team is incredible, and I'll go over a little bit more in the preview, but it's been stunning. They have quintippled five times. Five times their win total already, and we haven't even gone to uh, conference play yet. That, that, so. that is insane. Are, are there any other conferences that catch your eye like uh, that have impressed you so far? Yeah, so the big one that people uh, love to trash on in past years, but is actually really good, and I hope people start watching this conference more, is the West Coast Conference. It's the one Gonzaga's in. Everybody always talks about how when Gonzaga goes to conference play, they're playing a whole bunch of nobodies. They're crap. The why, like, it's so easy for them to get to the tournament, but 
I'm seeing the West Coast Conference this year being a four-bid league. We have Gonzaga, obviously, at the top. Uh, they're super solid. You got Chet Holmgren, uh, the number one or two pick probably in the NBA. You got Drew Timmy back, Andrew Nimhard. You have a solid core there. But then there's three other teams this year that I think will actually pose them trouble in conference play. You got BYU. Uh, Mark Pope squad. I'm really excited for them to come to the Big 12 just because of how dominant they are in two sports. But they have wins already over San Diego State, Oregon, Utah, and Utah State. So they're really whooping up on the competition. There are a few big games that they're playing. San Francisco, one you don't hear about, the Dons. The Dons are really good <laughs> this year. They've beaten Davidson, ASU, and UAB, which UAB is a really good mid major team. Uh, another really good mid major team. And last is. I would say Gonzaga's biggest competition throughout the, the last five, ten years in St. Mary's. They're really good. They took Wisconsin down to the line in the Maui Invitational. They've beat Oregon. They've beaten Utah State. They've beat Notre Dame. So all these West Coast Conference teams have had solid resume wins. I'm just afraid that some of that bias that, oh, they're a smaller conference – they're going to like a t- like conference like the ACC, which we think of being good to take away from some of those guys, because I'm seeing at least three at large teams in that conference. And it might not look as good just because some of their bottom teams aren't as good. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of that will, a lot of the success of that, of the West coast conference will come with how successful they are against Gonzaga. If they can make those games, good games, well, now that I think about it, they'll just say Gonzaga's bad. Uh, it, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if yep. you don't situation with it. Uh, it, it. It's hard to have parody when you when your brand names aren't as good. But you know, I, I, again, uh, you know, one one thing you've always said is you know, money's in the crumbs, and success is in these little games that you might not be paying attention to. So you know that I I I, I think that's the biggest thing. How are you doing in your non-conference? I know a lot of people say, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, whatever your wins are closer to March matters. I I truly think that the best, you know, measuring stick is in these non-conference games. And you can't forget that when it it comes down to March is what you did in December and January and uh, November. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited about that. Um, Okay. So we've talked about some of the, you know, better conferences, some of the worst conferences, but let's talk about some more surprise teams. Uh, we mentioned Iowa state, um, a name that is kind of, uh, surprising to me, USC at eight. Yes. So USC is very good. And coming off of last year where you had Evan Mobley and you thought that was going to kind of be the pinnacle of USC basketball, but Isaiah Mobley, his brother's still there. They got a guy named Boogie Ellis from Memphis that has been a solid transfer. And I just, I really like their coach. It's the old Florida Gulf Coast coach. He's very, like, nobody talks about him. And I think that's his best quality is he's just under the radar. He gets the guys prepared and they've done a really good job. Like, if you look at their schedule, they went at Florida Gulf Coast, which I think is good to go to a mid-major. They beat San Diego State. They beat Utah. They beat uh, UC Irvine. Like, they Georgia Tech, like, they beat these really solid teams and they've kind of been one of those one top 15 teams that has consistently gone on the road and gotten victories uh, instead of like a neutral or at a home field. So I really like what Andy Enfield is doing with USC this year, which is sad because I want to see them do, I want to see them do so bad. And I like other teams in the PAC 12 more, but they've surprisingly been very good. Yeah. And I, I know you have a lot of names that might have surprised you over the the uh, year so far, but there's one name that I, I, I'm looking at and I'm just baffled by 
how is Colorado State good? I, I, I want to hear what the hell's going on with them, and then I would love to hear uh, your other surprises. Yeah, so I don't know. I kind of got on the Colorado State bandwagon, like, way late, but they have just been <laughs> good. I don't understand what it is about it. They've beaten some, like, they've had, I would say their schedule isn't the best, but they beat St. Mary's, they beat Mississippi State, they beat Creighton. Like, these are all great wins. They came out of nowhere, and I'm looking at their roster. It's mostly juniors and seniors uh, that we're seeing, so just a very talented squad. And if you look at their minutes rates and stuff, they're pretty split across, like, seven or eight guys, so it just seems like this team is deep. They're good. It's just, they're good. It's just one of those weird teams that I think finally having seniors, juniors just kind of mesh together and they've had a really solid run and probably the favorite to win the Mountain West Conference this year. Which is, I mean, that's crazy. You know, we, we've, that that's just kind of wild to me. Uh, who else have you really been impressed by uh, before I move on to some of the disappointments? Yeah, so the other team I would say that has been really impressed by, Arizona. Tommy Lloyd, who was basically Mark Few's right-hand man, took over from Sean Miller after base years of controversy. I can't pin down one controversy because it seemed like any time he got out of the clear, he was back in another one. But they have just been really good. And it's they had James Akinjo transfer, who was probably their best player. But it's a, it's a whole bunch of foreign talent, basically. They recruited uh, – Sean Miller recruited a lot of these guys from overseas – they gel really well together. They're really big, like really, really big. They're they start mostly guys that are six seven to seven foot. Like they're just big, and they have been really solid. And I really like Tommy Lloyd because Tommy Lloyd's like these aren't my players. Like I didn't recruit them. Like this, you can't give the su- success on me. But he's putting together something that Sean Miller hasn't been able to do. And if you look at the, if you take out preseason bias and stuff with the advanced analytics, they're number one, like over Baylor. And so that's how great they've been and just really have just been dominating teams all year long. So I like them. Like those are the, I cheer for Arizona or UCLA more than the USC, but like the PAC 12 has those good, those good teams at the top. Yeah. But so he might be a good coach, but how well can he sweat through a, t- uh, a dress shirt? Not the same. Not the same. Not the same. He can't do it. <laughs> that, hey, he loses points with me for that one. Sean Miller, the ultimate sweaty guy out there. Uh, but then again, everyone's they, they've moved away from like the uh, traditional like suits and stuff, so you wouldn't have even noticed. You, you lost the best caliber or the quality of Sean Miller. I know. I'm really hoping Sean Miller gets another chance at some small school. It just kind of ends up the same way. It's like the dirtiest recruiting tactics to make like some random Northeast school become like the best, like the best in the nation. Kind of like Iona. I feel like yep. he's doing under <laughs> under <laughs> an Iona St. Louis type of situation. I, I like it. You know, yeah. Petito so. out here trying to get games. Ugh. That that is one of the. It, it's funny because. You you love a good underdog story, but when Rick Pitino's coaching the Iona Gales, you're like, oh, I don't want to root for them. This isn't it's fun. Dirty. It it's, feels dirty. It, it, it just feels wrong. I don't like it. I don't like my underdogs to have dirt ball coaches. But you know, hey, you, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You'll be a winner once a single point is scored. 
New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's just that simple. Of course, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, like Oklahoma, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN, that is TPPN, bet $1 on any team to score, and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wage required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gaming problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. Uh, so who are some of your disappointments uh, here? Um, obviously, there are a couple names that come to mind for me. Villanova being at 7-4 and four seems uh, just odd, uh, unusual. But um, I don't know. I, I, I know I know th- those are a little less prominent, um, uh, you know, unless you ca- caught up with, you know, preseason polls. So who has really uh, disappointed you? And more importantly, who do you who have you already developed a grudge with due to uh, p- potential bad beats? Ooh, good bad beat school. I'm going to have to think about that, but I'll cover Villanova first. Villanova has played a really tough schedule. They're honestly a really good team, but they just shoot a lot of threes. And so the past two games, whenever they played, I believe it was Creighton and Baylor, they went like 19% from the three-point line and just got scorched. And you can't do that if you rely so much on the three-point. So I expect them to bounce back a little. It's just they've really fallen flat against everybody they played. But I'm not as down on them. And Ford has been giving me crap about this because they beat Alabama Memphis, Memphis sucks. I came into the season, they were supposed to be the new great team because they have Amani Bates, they have Jalen Duran, these two young guys who are going to be future NBA stars, and they're just going to dominate. It's going to be, finally, we almost got it with James Wiseman, but then he got hit with sanctions, decided not to go back to school. We are finally going to see what Penny Hardaway at Memphis can do. It's been horrible. It's been horrible. Amani Bates, like... He's. I'm not going to say he's going to be an NBA bust because he's only 17 years old, but he's been a college basketball bust. Like he just doesn't look prepared for the moment. They're having to pull him off the bench. Like he can't even start. Penny Hardaway has gone far enough that he went to Seth Davis, who's my least favorite college basketball reporter, and like basically went on record and was like, "Our locker room sucks. The veterans are jealous of the new guys coming in. Like this. Like the egos are unchecked. Like." Everything is going to hell. And, like, he's, like, basically blaming it on his players. It's like, Penny, you were hired to make sure these guys gel, that the veterans and the new guys gel. Like, this is your vision of bringing all these five-star guys to Memphis, and you can't even gel them. And he's like, it's not my problem. And so Larry Brown's on his staff, and it's just hilarious because, like, Penny doesn't do much of the coaching. It's just Larry Brown just, like, chewing guys out on the sidelines and them not listening. And... The nail in the coffin is, like, Memphis, like, I think their main struggle is they don't have, like, a true point guard to kind of facilitate the offense. They have a lot of good players, but none of them want to pass, so you kind of need that facilitator. 
They had Boogie Ellis last year, who is now at USC and is like their best player, and he is a true point guard putting up assists. And and Penny was like, "We didn't need, we don't need you," and just let him go. So it's like they this Penny should be fired, but it's because of who he is and his connection to Memphis that he hasn't been. Yeah, so. it, he seems just like a brand guy, and I gotta say, you know, if Larry Brown's there, he's just like. I don't know. If you have Larry Brown on your staff or anywhere near your university, you're probably going to get hit with the kiss of death at some yep. point. And Memphis in- already already was in hot water. They were already kind of, you know, tipping that line. And then you bring in Larry Brown. Like, what, what are you doing here? They just haven't been able to beat good teams. It's like they lost to Iowa State big. They lost to Georgia, who's just an abysmal team. Like, in the hunt with Missouri, Pitt being the worst P5 teams. They lose to Mississippi. They lose to the John Morant game that they bring Murray State so John Morant can come watch Murray State play Memphis and lose at home by two to a Murray State team who's like an all-right mid-major. It's just been bad. And it's like, yeah, they beat Alabama, but Alabama is similar to Villanova where they have to win. Like, Nate Oates, I love him, but he's an analytics guru, so he's like, shoot a whole bunch of threes. It's analytics for a reason. It doesn't work 100% of the time, and they had a cold shooting night, and Memphis had a warm one, but they're bad. They're bad. Like, they're probably not going to make the tournament, and they started this year at, uh, like, 11, I believe. So That's awful. They're bad. Yeah. I I mean, much like Penny Hardaway, all hype, no results, I guess. So. Yep. And then uh, one more team. I won't cover it as much, but Oregon. Oregon was number 13 coming into the year and just cannot find a rhythm whatsoever. They're 6-6 six and six now. They have losses to BYU, St. Mary's, Houston, which are all really good teams. But Arizona State, Stanford, and then had their best game of the year versus Baylor and still lost by eight. It's just not gelling on the offensive end for them. So, it's yeah, it's just over. I think they're, they're March Hope. They're pretty much over. Damn. Damn. Well, uh, we've covered pretty much everyone involving the teams, but uh, we got to ask, I got to ask, what, what, who's your favorite player to watch so far? Uh, obviously, we've touched a little bit on Shet, a little bit on uh, uh, Benchero. I still don't know how to pronounce it. I've got, I, I, ben, the way his name is spelled is too much like Del Rancho, and I, I don't know why I'm just getting blended up there. It's just a super oaky way of pronouncing that last name. But anyways, um, so, but, but who, who's your play, favorite player to watch? It can either be the best or, you know, someone tricky and fun. Uh, I know, I like, I know, I know you like your weird players, so uh, I would love to hear them. Yeah, so my number one guy that I like to watch this year, and it's perfect, they're late night games. It's probably a school you've never heard of. It's Cal Baptist, Taryn Armstrong. Of course. This guy guy is a walking triple-double. He averages 12 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists, and he comes from the NBA Global Academy or something like that. I think he's an Australian guy, but he is fascinating to watch. He does everything, and it's a random team, but he's actually gotten them to pretty good mid-major status, like competing for their conference. But Taryn Armstrong, look him up. He, I honestly, like, he might be able to play in the NBA because I think if he's Australian, does he have, he might have some relation to Josh Giddy, maybe, like, played with him at some point, but. Surely, surely. 
But yeah, he is, I would say, very Josh Giddy-esque that he just does everything. So oh, man. he is, you gotta watch him. If you have ESPN Plus, he's perfect. He seems like an ESPN Plus, like, hero right there, you know? Yep. There, wow, okay. I I was expecting something out there. I don't think I was expecting Cal, what, what was it, Cal Baptist? Just... I have never heard of that team in my life, and I've heard of many teams, so that, that's very shocking. All right. Well, there you they go. Do. At least Josh Giddy knows, knows him because he says he's – Josh Giddy claims him as the best passer in college basketball. So for all you Thunder fans out there, seal of approval from the man Giddy himself. There you go. All right. Love, we, all, we, we are big Giddy people, so uh, that's, that's awesome. Okay, let's move on to uh, something a little more regional, the Big 12. Um, I, I know you are a uh, – as we know from football, you're a big shield protector. Um, I, I, while I've waned off that football-wise, I, I staunchly believe it's the best college basketball conference. And once again, it's been incredible. Kind of talked about Iowa State being a surprise. Um, but let's kind of run down the power rankings entering conference play. Uh, obviously, it's a dogfight. It's a knife fight. And I, I feel like everyone can – anyone can win at any point um, in this conference. Uh, but who who'd you put who'd you put kind of last? Who's who is the least um, I don't know dangerous Big Twelve team? Yeah, so there's two at the bottom. I would say there's like two kind of in that really bottom tier that I think are just going to kind of be the doormat of our conference. But one is clear to be the advanced analytics might not say it, but the TCU Horn Frogs are the worst. <laughs> they are the worst. I don't care what our record says now that we have one loss. The Jamie Dixon experience is. Schedule cupcakes, beat said cupcakes, boost your record so you come into conference play with a loss or two, and then you basically just get blown up for the conference. Your record comes out about 500, and you don't get fired, and that is what's happening this year. We like Our best wins are Utah, Texas A&M, and Georgetown, who are all like very, very average Power 6 teams. Like, very average and we've barely beaten those teams and then we lost to santa clara who's a good like i would say is that fifth team at the west coast conference that's going to be a little streaky a little fun to watch but it's bad i think this is jamie dixon's last year mike miles jr is really good he's kind of uh taken up that kenrich williams desmond bain role like tcu always has one good player that like really solves some of our woes but I trust this next team I'm going to talk about just a little bit more because of just, like, his past history. I haven't seen anything from Jamie Dixon in the last few years with players he's recruited at TCU. I think we are the worst in the Big 12. And see, like, that's something only a TCU fan would know. Uh, someone who, you know, really cares about the program, really watches them. Because me, a dummy who does not watch TCU non-conference basketball, looks at wins at Georgetown against Texas A&M in Utah and Oral Roberts, and I'll be like, oh, wait, hold on, these are sneaky good, you know, these are good wins, you know, maybe not the best, maybe they're having down years, but they're brand names that I know because I'm a dummy. Uh, but but at the same time, you know, Jim Dixon kind of does that to you. He, he He's a he's a snake oil salesman who, who gives it like those, you know, like this facade that everything's going better, everything's going good, and then uh, you just get killed in conference play. It, that truly is, and, like, that's why, like, our message boards are all, they're all like, oh my gosh, why aren't we getting votes to be ranked? Like, we only <laughs> have one loss. And it's like, have you watched our team the last four years? This exact same scenario has played out. Like, I looked, like, the past, maybe we had a few more losses going in, but it was because we were playing 
better teams in like tournaments we were part of. Like this is a weak non-conference schedule, especially for what's going to happen in the Big Twelve this year with the top eight being pretty strong. So I'm going to go with TCU last. I know I'm going to get flack for that, but I I've seen nothing over the last four years to make me think otherwise. Yeah, and see, I'm a little shaky on Kansas State. I think they would be my last just looking at it. But again, uh, you know, kind of a dummy on it. Not Haven't been super in on K-State. Uh, I think I think some of my uh, the bad taste in my mouth from some of their non-conference performances last year has kind of made me think that they're still kind of recovering. Um, but why do you like K-State at nine, a little bit over your frogs? The only reason is okay, our both of our offenses aren't good. I think TCU is probably ranked like 20 or 30 places higher than uh, Kansas State, but Kansas State's defense is really good, and they can defend the three ball, which is so important these days that I feel like that will keep them in games where if you can defend the three-point line, make teams really work for baskets, you're going to be closer than just allowing somebody to barrage you 15 points out of the gate and you're out of the game. So I think – Kansas State, I feel like their defense is just a little bit better. Going to keep them in more games. Bruce Weber has done it before. He's probably, I don't know his contract situation, but he's probably not going to come back next year. Like, they have to fire him. This is the third straight, I think, third straight year that if things go according to plan and K-State being at the bottom, that's three straight losing record losing record years and like bad ones in 2021 they had only nine wins 2020 they only had 11 wins they're not good anymore and k-state is actually like unlike tcu has some college basketball history and some prowess so yeah no they have basketball acumen and they they, i I believe that you know they're, they're a school that shouldn't be as bad as they are at basketball it feels weird that they're bad uh, much like Iowa State last year, I thought it was weird that seeing a bad Iowa State team that couldn't make the tournament, and you know, it just it, it's just weird. It doesn't feel right, and I, I can only imagine how those poor K State fans feel after winning the Big Twelve, ending Kansas State, Kansas State's run, and then immediately falling apart. It's it's like the you know like the Thanos Gamora meme. You know what what did it cost? Everything. Now you're now you're the third worst team in Kansas. Probably I don't know how bad Wichita State is or not, but. They're, they're kind of ahead. I would say I would give the edge maybe to Wichita State, but it's like pretty close just because like I think Wichita State's just kind of an all right American team. So there you that go. doesn't spell to be too good. Yeah. Moving on up to number uh, number eight. So let's take a look here. I, I personally think it's kind of an easy decision. Just a team that's slightly ahead of the crop here. Uh, is it I, or Oklahoma State for you at eight? Yep, it is Oklahoma State, and I know the big story coming in this year was the NCAA sanctions. They got slapped with those, cannot participate in the postseason, and it was very unfair, especially in light with NC State doing worse things, like going to, it's a different, they went not through the NCAA, but through this independent council mediation thing, and basically got a slap on the wrist, uh, and they were paying hundreds of thousands of dollars, whereas OSU was like, 30 or to $300 to like one financial advisor. Like it was significantly less and it just shows how ridiculous the system we call the NCAA is. But even with that, they started the season 37th and Ken Palm have now dropped to 52nd, which is never a good side because Ken Palm's not going to react like polls. It's more numbers based. So you're going to, the falls and rises are very slight, but 
the Boone Twins were supposed to be like the big deal. They were gonna they played awesome last year side by side with Kate Cunningham, but it's just kind of been meh. It's like OSU has one good win on the schedule that beat NC State, but every other team they lost to Wichita State, Xavier, U of H. Like those three teams, I think are really solid, especially Xavier and U of H. But they lost to Oakland, like not Oakland, California, but <laughs> Oakland from Michigan, the Grizzlies, and like they're a good Horizon League team, but like I said, a Horizon League team, not a Big Twelve, not a Power Six team. So I just feel like. They're going to win. They're definitely better than TCU and Kansas State, but I think they're not closer to the next seven in front of them. They're just kind of on an island. Yeah, losing to Oakland will put you down there. Um, But, you know, again, their their other losses, you know, you you can't fault them for losing a close-ish game to Houston. Uh, Wichita State, not great. And uh, Xavier is, you know, hey, they're Xavier. So they they have some pedigree to them. so you know they're fighting. They're not. They're not. They're not horrible. Um, but um, let's move on to number seven. So of this group at the bunch or at the top of the bunch here, um, all of these all of these teams are receiving votes in the AP. Hell, Oklahoma State is for that matter. Um, but who do you think is probably the worst of them? This is hard, uh, and it's kind of we're splitting hairs, kind of in the middle of the pack. But I'm gonna just put seven as West Virginia. Uh, Taz Sherman, he's been incredible. Like last year, he would basically dominate the games that they were losing really big and would like games where they won. He would be a no factor, but this year he's actually good. And so West Virginia is always kind of what they are press heavy. They got one guy that can score for them. So it's very like, they look very solid and it like seems like a slap in the face that I'm putting them at seven. Like they're that bad. Like, all these seven teams we're about to talk about are going to be March Madness teams. Like they are going to receive bids and probably be pretty high bids at that. And so they're like, none of these teams are bubble teams. So they have good wins, like good ish wins. And that's why I kind of uh, fault them a little bit. They beat Clemson. They beat a very injured UConn team, missing their two best players and had a lot of help from the refs that game. That game I ripped my hair out uh, and beat UAB, who is a really solid mid-major. But they lost to Marquette, who's uh, another just kind of solid mid-major this year. Like, Shaka Smart can do weird things. But, uh, yeah, they're just like – there's not enough on the resume there for me to put them higher, but they're going to be a very solid team. It, like they could easily beat like a Baylor just because like the press does things. The press can oh the press will always keep you in games. So oh yeah, nobody wants to go into that. Uh, I can't remember what their coliseum is called, but nobody wants to go into that damn stadium with the super yellowy wood. Uh, it, it just always is very intimidating, and you know. It's it's Huggy Bear. What it, yeah, it, it's the press. It's West Virginia. Like you said, they are who they are, and they're always going to have issues, even if they're not quite remarkable this year. Um, and hell, they might be. And you never know. Some teams can just go on runs. Um, and I, I I think they could be pretty good. Uh, the the lack of a huge non conference uh, you know worries me a bit. But again. You never know until you actually get into the grind of it. Um, and a team like West Virginia could definitely get hot. Who do you have next? Yeah, so the next one is your Oklahoma Sooners. And Fair enough. Porter, Porter Moser, he is delivered. Like It's basically a very similar team to Loyola last year. 
in all the defensive categories, OU's top 25. They're incredibly defensively. Offensive categories, not so much. Not a good shooting team. Like, I worry about OU. They, they struggle with offensive rebounding. They struggle to get to the line, which is, like, kind of, I think, putting them back from these, these next tier of teams in the Big 12 if we're going, like, up, up tiers. But I like what I've seen. Like, they blew out Arkansas, which... Arkansas, Arkansas is a great team, but Eric Musselman has that Jamie Dixon type quality scheduling. Like they schedule a whole bunch of cupcakes and expect their team to like be battle tested come conference play. They just aren't, but beat UCF, beat Florida. They had a loss to Utah State, which is fine. I think Utah State's a good Mount West team. They have the bean man, the good bean man. (laughs) (laughs) He's a pinto bean. And he's from Oklahoma, so maybe it's like a revenge game or something that he wasn't recruited enough by any Oklahoma schools. But yeah. the one concerning thing is the loss to Butler. Butler's bad Unacceptable. This year. Like, Butler's really bad. And so, like, that's the only reason why I kind of dock him. And just because, like, I'm a little concerned about OU's offense. But, like, similar to West Virginia and, like, those Loyola teams, it's like they can really pressure you on defense, which will always keep them in games even when they lack that offensive talent. Yeah, and you know, I, I I will say I've watched a lot of OU basketball, uh, relatively, I would say, and you know, this is this team is good for what they are a a uh, an island of misfit toys type of team. You know, head coach wasn't there, most of that staff wasn't there. You know, most of the major players, you know, Tanner Groves, who I think has been excellent. You know, it, chemistry takes a little bit to get together. Um, and I feel like they're starting to get there. They play with a lot of energy. They're super, incredibly fun to watch. Um, but you're right. The, the inconsistency is definitely is definitely a, an issue. I think I could look past the Utah State loss. It's an early, you know, uh, what what are those tournament deals? Everyone's up uh, out at I think Myrtle Beach for three straight days. So, you know, three point loss. That's okay. But they they have an issue of blowing big leads, which is what happened to Butler. The Butler game was unacceptable. Um, if you want to be one of those teams who is fighting for a Big 12 championship and truly, you know, at the top, you know, not just like, oh, they're one of the seven best, but like truly fighting for it and truly have a chance, you have to close games out and you have to beat teams that are shorthanded. And that's what Butler was. Um, but you know what? The, these are these are learning lessons. You know, just as, just as um, we talk about the importance of November and the importance of December in terms of building a resume for a young team who hasn't figured everything out together yet. That is just as important. So uh, I, I wouldn't be too dissuaded by it. I think OU deserves to be ranked. Uh, they're yep. knocking right on the door at 26, but also it makes a lot of sense. You know, you have to take the uh, the good with the bad and losing to Butler is very bad. Uh, Utah state. I, I do not think this team would probably lose to Utah state if they ran it back right now, they've gotten better. So, yep. And I like commend Porter Moser because I would say this is probably one of OU's lesser talented rosters they've had in a while. And he's still getting very similar results of what we've seen with some of the more star powered Buddy Heel, Trey, uh, Trey Young type OU rosters. Like, and even last year with Austin Reeves, like, he's still really good too. So it's like he's gotten a lot out of, I think, what, uh, what has been very little in what OU has. Like, he's just been really good at elevating those guys. Yeah, I don't think there's a single NBA player on this roster. Uh, Let's be honest. But but they are what they are, a very fun college basketball team. And I think they can, you know, that's a type of team that could also make a run, especially in Mm -hmm. March. Um, And they're they're, they're getting it together. But, you know, 
The biggest thing with OU teams, they fall apart uh, when they hit the... Look, it could be Lon, it could be Kelvin Sampson, it could be anyone. They always run into the the gauntlet of the Big 12. And, you know, will he be good at that? We'll see. You know, w- w- once you get into that competition, you know, they, they, they've gotten up for big games, but, you know, that's enough talking about OU. We'll, we'll be talking about them a lot as the season progresses because, you know, hey, we're not going anywhere. So uh, there'll be a lot more OU talk. Just keep, keep, keep it with us there. But let's move on to number five. Uh, who do you got? Yeah, number five is the Texas Tech Red Raiders, and even with Chris Beard leaving, they've had a really solid uh, team so far. They're just well-rounded. Like, they're top 50 in offense, top 10 in defense. Like, this team is just all, like, they're just what you want, like, out of a kind of middle to top tier of a conference type team. Like, they're going to score points. Like, I know the one game most people watched them uh, in with Tennessee, which was a brick fest. But besides that game, like, they've been a really solid offensive team. Texas Tech has always been great defensively. They haven't changed that. So, uh, a name to uh, some names to look at is Terrence Shannon, Kevin McCuller. Those guys are your stars. But Kevin O'Banner, the blow bob guy from last year, not uh, <laughs> Max Obamas, that's like the guard that was lighting it up, but kind of the big man that could swing and do threes and stuff. That two-headed monster, the blow bob, tra- uh, he transferred from blow bob and went on to uh, Texas Tech. So uh, they beat Tennessee, who's a great defensive team. So that's good to think, uh, like, great win there. They've lost to Providence, who's, I would say, a really solid uh, Big East team this year, and then lost to Gonzaga, which is very understandable because Gonzaga's a really good team. So, like, they're, like, in that elite five or six team category, whereas Texas Tech, like, good ranked team, going to be great all year, going to get some good wins. Like, in the Big 12, it's just not that elite level just yet. Yeah, and, I mean, a lot of adjustment, adjustments. Obviously, no beard, no McClung, you know. Got to shift things up a bit, but I, I think they'll be fine. They've had some good records uh, or, or good games against teams with good records. Um, but, but uh, you know, again, conference play awaits. Who do you have at four? So this might be controversial because a lot of advanced analytics has this team higher than my number three team. Uh, but I want to go off of what I've seen this year. It's the Texas Longhorns. Like the Texas Longhorns probably have the. Honestly, coming in, maybe besides Baylor, the second most talented roster in the Big 12. They had uh, Timmy Allen from Utah, who was a good guard coming from there. Trey Mitchell from UMass. And then uh, uh, Christian Bishop from Creighton. uh, And they got the top transfer of the year, Marcus Carr, who everybody wanted. They got four incredible transfers, proven guys. And Chris Beard just hasn't been able to mesh that talent. Uh, this year and partly it's because they've played a cupcake schedule like they've really had only three games that I would say are actual like living body teams Gonzaga Seton Hall and Stanford and they barely they beat Stanford by seven which is like they're a bottom Pac-12 team so that's not good and then lost to Seton Hall and they got absolutely dismantled by Gonzaga. Like, the final score doesn't do it justice by how bad they were down. It's just Gonzaga really took their foot off the gas because they were up by, like, 30, like, close to 30 points at once. It's, this team is not meshing the way they thought it would, and a lot of people, like, had Texas as, like, the number two team in the nation behind Gonzaga coming into the year, 
And to put him at fourth, a lot of analytics people still like him just because of the talent they have on the roster. But they haven't played anybody in the teams they have played. They haven't looked that good. So I just I do not trust them coming into Big Twelve play. I don't. Yeah, which is which is fair, you know. Um, again, I I would have actually asked you if uh, you know that was kind of a more disappointing team because this was a top five team entering the season. This was not a, a, a number 16 kind of floating towards, you know, the middle of the pack uh, type of team. So I, I, I can see that there have been maybe some disappointments, but, you know, uh, I wonder how much of that is Chris Beard needing time to mesh with his guys, you know, new, new system, new, new program. Uh, but, you know, again, conference play, it's coming. So, yeah. Who do you have a number three? I, I noticed that the surprise of uh, the Big 12, Iowa State, hasn't gone up yet. Is this, is, this, is this them? Yep, Iowa State's going here, and the events analytics do not agree with putting Iowa State this high. Most people have them eighth, seventh best in the Big 12, definitely not as high as three, but I like results. I think college basketball is definitely a results sport. I think it's the most useless sport coming in with preseason bias and preseason polls because we really don't know how a team's going to mesh. And when you think of this Iowa State team, TJ Otzelberger, first-year coach from uh, UNLV, and their top six scorers on this uh, squad, all transfers. So this is no players that we've seen uh, suit up in an Iowa State uniform coming in. Like, that's cause for concern. It's similar. TCU is the same way. We brought in seven or eight transfers. We're at the bottom, but they have made things work at the top. Uh, They jumped, like, to show, like, just how incredible this team, like I was talking about earlier, Kim Palm, how conservative they are moving people up. They dropped from 113th to 50th. Like, that's insane. You don't see uh, jumps like that. And if you go over to Bart Torvik, he's kind of the new guy. He, He and Kim Palm, like, Use those together if you want to look at event analytics. And, like, the good thing about that website is you can uh, get rid of preseason bias. And they have Iowa as the 18th best team in the nation. Like, so Iowa, this Iowa State team's really good. They beat they, their four top wins, Xavier, Memphis, Iowa, Creighton. They killed those teams. Like, these, like, they are just dismembering the good teams that they're playing. They haven't lost this year. And just... A reminder for the listeners out there: This team was two and twenty-two last year, and now they're abysmal. Just yeah, like abysmal. Like, and they are just now dismantling people. So I know the analytics don't like them, and I know there's like we're probably going to see some regression come Big Twelve play. But like, I can't with seeing those quality wins, ranked wins at the time, and then just lashing them, like not even being close and just destroying them. I got to put Iowa State at three. Yeah, the the one game that points out to me is that Memphis game where, you know, they they blew him out and Memphis was ranked ninth, but also as we discussed earlier, Memphis is kind of uh garbage. So mm-hmm. uh look, here's one thing's for sure. We'll find out uh just how good this team is very quickly. Uh New Year's Day they play Baylor. So there you mm-hmm. go. You you want a test? There's your test for them. Uh moving on, number two, I'm guessing probably the Kansas Jayhawks. It is the Kansas Jayhawks, and honestly, them and Baylor are just really close. Like, those last three teams, like Texas Tech, Texas, Iowa State, I would say, are kind of in its clump. And then we have, like, the two elite contenders, which I expect could be easily both number one seeds coming into the Big 12, uh, into the NCAA tournament. And either of these teams, like, it is very feasible in my mind that they could win it. So, Kansas, really solid team. Ochi, I can't. 
Ochi Agbaji is their senior guard. He's like a Devontae Graham type. Like, you know, Kansas always has that that upperclassman, junior, senior guard that he's he has a chance of winning player of the year. Like, he's just that good. Like, he's just – he's not one of those NBA type guards, but he's a damn good college guard that can just score a whole bunch. Hey, as Thunder, fans, well. no, we, we, as Thunder fans know, uh, Devontae Graham <laughs> – uh, he can put a hurting on you. <laughs> so they're really solid. The funnest part about this Kansas team, though, they have a guy, he's an ASU transfer named Remy Martin. He is a character. Like the Remy Martin experience, he is the one player that really challenges Bill Self and I think is Bill Self's hardest coaching challenge he's had in a while. At his best, Remy Martin is the hottest shooter you'll ever see in your entire life. At his worst, he's a ball hog. He's turning it over. You can't rein him in. And so uh, during their scrimmage at the start of the year, he benched – Bill Self benched Remy Martin, and Remy Martin was pissed. So he came out and scored seven straight, just like seven straight jump shots, bam, 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 bam. And like just to like show up his own coach, like how wrong he is. So he has the killer mindset, but he also has like the killer mindset of like, I will lose this game for you. Like very much like when you see a bad Russell Westbrook kind of moment – he kind of has that where he's like, I want to take over this game. And it's just like, it looks abysmal. And so their only loss is to Dayton. And Dayton is not a good team, but they're a weird team where Dayton's only wins are against great teams and their losses are against really, really bad teams. So they're like this weird duality of they will, they play, they truly play to their competition. So they lost on a weird buzzer beater, kind yeah. of a weird rookie one. So I'm not going to hold it over them. They're going to be a really solid team, could easily win the national championship. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And it was one of those weird, you know, uh, I believe it was, when, I think they were playing at Disney, for example. Like, I, I can't ding you bad whenever that happens. That's that's just the nature of the sport. Uh, it was early. Uh, what stands out to me, though, that 102-65 to 65 win over Missouri. Oh, boy, the, uh, the, the border war got restarted in uh, quite the intense way. Yep, it was Mizzou is in the ranking with them, uh, them and Pitt probably worst Power Five teams this year. Missouri basketball after they moved to the SEC has just plummeted. Like it has plummeted. It used to be a staple in the Big Twelve and a good rivalry, but I think Kansas really took out that frustration of how mad they were that they left uh, the Big Twelve because that was the first time I think they met since that move and just really I think Bill Self was really mad about it when it happened, so he just he. He held no punches and just rubbed them. Missouri basketball really is like the basketball version of Nebraska. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they had all this pedigree. They were a big eight staple. And then you go to the SEC and lose all your identity. And now nobody really cares about Missouri basketball. Uh, So, you know, that's, 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 that's a tough one. And and Pitt too. How did Pitt die? Uh, so I'm baffled by this because that was Jamie Dixon's old team. And so I guess Jamie Dixon leaving, but like, he obviously hasn't done anything for us at TCU. So it's a weird, like he was obviously successful at Pitt. He got him like for his 12 years that he was there. He got him to the tournament 11 out of the 12 times, like very good. But the last thing I'll say on Kansas is. Mitch Lightfoot is in the Perry Ellis style echelon. Oh, God, he's still of, here? 
Yes, he's he's a six year senior back. So him and Brad Davison from Wisconsin, they just refuse to leave. So Mitch Lightfoot is still out there. He was like, I think he was a four or five star. Like he was a top fifty player in the nation when he got recruited, which is just wild because now he's become more like a meme. But he is in that Ellis stage of like, oh my god, this guy will not leave. Like. I was in college when Mitch Lightfoot was playing for Kansas. That's like, I remember that his. I remember his ass. Ugh, crazy, crazy. Well, let's move on to the number one Baylor Bears, the defending national champion, back atop. Uh, as you mentioned, have lost a lot of guys. Davion Mitchell, to, uh, in particular, uh, headlining that group. What have they done this year that has shown you that they're not only best in the Big Twelve, but maybe the best in the country? Their depth. Their depth is just ridiculous this year. And you think of coming off a season where you lose your three best guards. Uh, your next, your fourth best player is Matthew Meyer, the guy for, with the mullet. Everybody will remember him from March Madness. Can shoot the three ball. Like, they were basically, everybody was like, Baylor, he has to be the guy. Like, he just kind of has to take over games and fill that role. And Matthew Meyer's honestly kind of been, eh. Like, he's been, a, he's been good. Like, he's been good, but he hasn't been what, like, he hasn't dominated their games. And the thing is, like, I'm just a simp over how Scott uh, <laughs> Scott Drew builds his teams. It's so ridiculous. So you lose all three of your guards. You need to fill some holes there. So you bring in James Akinjo, a guy that I was a little worried about because he left Georgetown, which is kind of understandable. That Georgetown team was a mess. They were having legal issues with some of the other players on the teams getting kicked off. Like they kicked off three or four players at once. So that's understandable. Then goes to Arizona, leaves after a year after Sean Miller leaves. And so I'm like, okay, this guy's just kind of bouncing around everywhere, but he's been super solid. He's a great scoring guard. And then LJ Cryer, who played not like probably averaged two minutes on the Baylor squad last year on the national championship squad. He's become a full number two and is one of their, like, any game could be their MVP. Matthew Myers, still uh, still good. And then they just fill other holes. Like, besides these transfers, they brought in two guys from two years ago, Adam, Fla- uh, uh, Adam Flagler and Chitachua from UNLV, and they've just stepped up their game. Like, I think Chitachua, he's kind of like your Mark Vidal type last year where – He's doing all the dirt. He's doing the dirty work. He's getting the rebounds. You look at a stat sheet; it's not great, but he's an athletic freak in that he's always cutting to the basket. He plays like a big man, but can also move like a guard. And so, it's hard when you have four or five guys on there on the court at once that can really kill you, and you have to guard all those guys. So they're just really deep. They have a five star in Kendall Brown and a four star in Jeremy Sochan that came this year. So they're just like even their young guys. They don't have to rely on those four or five stars as much either. So Scott Drew just like rebuilt a team in the most perfect way and like didn't try to replicate what they did last year, which is awesome. Like they're just like we're gonna have eight guys that can kill you and we can put them on the court at any point and you're just gonna have to deal with that. Like we don't have to find a rotation of six guys come March. Like we can rest our guys and still do well. So they are just really good. Like, they're not going to be like Baylor last year that was, like, never losing at all. But, like, they're going to be good come March just from their depth. They they seem like they recovered quick, which is, again, huge. Um, so, I don't know. I, I'm excited. It seems very wide open in the Big 12. And, uh, you know, I, I can't wait for this uh, penultimate 
year in the uh, with the with the shield, and you know I think it's gonna be fun. So, uh, Blake, any final thoughts before we log off and uh, you know move on to uh, the meat of the college basketball season? Uh, not much more that I can say. Just I think everybody, if you want to get into college basketball more, this is something that kind of started for me once I went to college and started learning more in the sport. Find some other like smaller teams to follow. Like I bandwagon. Like I I think sometimes even more than a TCU fan, I'm just a bandwagon for the mid majors that I love. So find some teams that kind of excite you in that realm. It makes March so much more fun when you've kind of followed the sport as a whole, besides just like the top five to ten teams. Because you really get a better picture of like what the storylines could possibly be and how fun the sport uh can like can just be come March time. So yep. I would just if you have the time, definitely just watch a little mid major ball, find some teams there, root for them to get to March. It makes it a whole much more fun. Absolutely. And for my message, uh look, if you're supporting the Sooners, if you're an OU fan, get down to the LNC. This is a fun team. They deserve your support. They deserve your energy. It's a good time. I'm just saying, do it. Just do it. You don't have anything better to do. Go watch some OU basketball. What are you what are, what are you doing? Go buy some tickets right now. Stop listening to the podcast. Go listen. Anyways, for me and Blake, this has been the Schooner Pod College Basketball Catch-Up. We'll catch you next time with some more excellent sports content. Have a good one. And, um, you know, boomer sooner. <laughs>